I'd like to open with prayer tonight. Holy Spirit, I need your help. We all need your help. Work in our hearts tonight. Make the word come alive. Work a deep work in our hearts and our souls so that our lives will be changed. You're the one that we need, Holy Spirit, and you're welcome in this place. I ask that you would bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to read a whole chapter tonight, plus a verse of the next chapter, so bear with me. Acts chapter 27, and this is the account of the shipwreck that Paul was involved in when he came, was on his way to Rome to stand before Caesar. Acts 27. Let's see, there's a light here somewhere, isn't there? Hey, on top? <laughs> oh, Sims come to my rescue. Oh, that's okay. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adamidium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the Asian, the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from, from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing from Italy or for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving at Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lassia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I see that your voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives. How many of you realize that Paul was a prophet? He was an apostle, but here he is, he's a prophet. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter, and the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there, there was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Nor'eastern swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, 
we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship inside itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtris. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to, sit, not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet. Short time later, they took soundings again and it was about 90 feet deep. Fearing that we should be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the daylight. In an attempt to escape the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and his soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took the bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. <clears throat> they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach, but the ship stuck struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent them, any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to the land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Once they were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. What I'd like to speak about tonight is what happens 
when we finally give up hope of being saved. Um, as I was studying this, and if you go through the verses that refer to hope, there are three, three things that stand out, which represents three classes of people <clears throat> that I'd like to share with you. The one is found in Ephesians 2, where Paul writes, he says they were without, this is writing to believers prior to their salvation, you were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood. The next reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are most miserable of all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Peter says this, God has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from among the dead. Those of us that are believers can go back to the days when we were faced with whatever we have to face in life and we had no hope. Now, Paul here is not saying they have no hope in the world. We all have hope of something. And what we're quite likely about to face is the aspirations and the hopes that we have for this world may be dashed to pieces. That's a real possibility. The unbeliever has no hope beyond this world. The believer has hope beyond this world. But the unbeliever only has hope in the things, very often, what we can get, what we can acquire. And as we all know, in time, they all lose their luster and we're looking for something new. So we're kind of in a very lost condition. We're just kind of going a day at a time and we're on a treadmill and we're trying to keep up with things and you know we have aspirations. I want to get a bigger house, I want to get a car, I want to get a cottage, I want to get a boat, I want to... This is life. But let me ask you this, if that is your life, where will you spend eternity? What is your hope for eternity? We have hopes for here, but there is a life to come. And we have a decision to make where we are going to go. It is very sad, I find, very often at funerals when the first thing that comes out of many people's lives is, well, he's in heaven, but they have no idea how he got there and he may not have got there. It's a very sad thing, but people believe that there is a future and they believe the best for their loved ones but they have no idea the journey that it takes to get there. The journey begins with coming to the cross of Christ, kneeling before the cross of Christ and admitting the fact that I've sinned and I need a Savior.
It's as simple as that. The next class of people that Paul writes about are believers. And there are a great number of believers, I think, that can identify with this area. Paul says, if in this life only we have hope, we're of all men most miserable. If our hopes are here, we've come to salvation, we say, thank you, Lord, my sins are forgiven, I can just go and live life as I please. And I still want the boat and the house and the car and and my whole effort in life is to acquire these things. Then you've lost the hope of the believer. The hope of the believer is the resurrection. You're not thinking of the Lord's return. You have no consideration for it. You're just going to live life as if really you were an unbeliever and yet you have professed to be a believer. But your life doesn't bear out the fact that you're a believer. What a sad situation to be in. Possibly a real believer, and yet you're just going to live your life in this world with no hope for the future. When God has given us a hope of the resurrection. The next class of people, God has begotten us again to a living hope. When you come to Jesus Christ for salvation and you receive a new birth, a new life, God, along with that life he gives you, is a tremendous hope, not only for the future resurrection, but for this life. It's a living hope. It's alive. If believers are not alive, there's something wrong. If we're not enthused about Jesus Christ and he's coming back again and there's no fear of death and there's going to be a resurrection, I'm going to have a new body, an immortal body. I'm going to have a glorified body like Jesus. Wow. I mean, what better life could you have? Is that the kind of life that you're pursuing? Is that what you would like to have? If you are, then start living like it. Simple. Just begin today. Start living as if it's true. And you'll find that all the things that may hit us in this life are going to fade. In reading Luke's account of this shipwreck, it reminds me of the day in which we are. We are in a storm like possibly no other generation is seeing. I haven't in my few years. I haven't seen anything like it. The storm is upon us. How are we going to weather the storm? What is interesting when you read through this account is that They begin, first of all, by not taking heed to the prophet. God has given gifts of prophets to the body of Christ, but unfortunately, quite likely, I hate to say this, but 
quite likely the majority of those that claim to be prophets are not. But that does not mean that there are not prophets. Those that are, let me explain it this way. The five main gifts that the Spirit has given to the body of believers here is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. If you look at it this way, an apostle has a large expansive view. Take, for instance, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. They could see extensively and Paul had the burden of all the churches, all the Gentile churches was upon himself. He could see then if the enemy is approaching, Paul would warn that there's a, something coming. The prophet is more localized. So you had Samuel was in Israel. You have the, the, the prophets from Samaria. They're more localized. If we were to look at Canada... Let's say you had an apostle for the, for the country of Canada. A prophet may be for the province of Ontario. He sees a great distance when the enemy's attacking. When you get to the teacher, you get to the, to the shepherd, their view is a bit more limited because we're in a smaller locale and not necessarily are seeing what those other gifts are seeing. The evangelists are out there. They're in touch day to day with what's going on in the locale that they are. Paul here knew as a prophet that they're headed for disaster. And he warns them, disaster is coming. You need to heed this. There's going to be a shipwreck if you don't listen. Well, no, we'll listen to the professionals. Who's Paul? He's not a captain of a boat, never has been. He's a tent maker. What do you know? Well, he did know. So, the first thing they do is the storm's upon them. Well, we better get the lifeboat in, just in case. We might have to abandon ship here. So we get the lifeboat. We're going to bring that in. And notice what it says. Then they... These professionals, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. They began to throw the cargo overboard. They threw the ship's tackle overboard, even with their own hands. I mean, it was valuable stuff. They, they, they. When the storm comes, what are we going to do? They took it upon themselves to decide what they're going to do. Paul had already heard from God and knew what to do. But they decide, we're professionals. This is what we're going to do. And the storm raged on, and they gave up hope. You know, that's the best place that we can be in. If you've ever got to a point where things are going against you and you don't know which way to turn and you've given up hope. That's the best place you can be in because the only hope you have left is God. Oh, yeah, but many of us, we get into that tight spot and I'll phone so-and-so and I'll phone so-and-so and I'll get somebody else's opinion on it. 
We're all alike, right? When the one place that we need to go first is to the Lord and find out, Lord, I'm in this tough spot. What am I supposed to do? Well, they threw all overboard all of these things to try and save themselves. The result of that was they gave up all hope of ever being saved. Then, as time went on, some of them thought, we're going to make our escape. We're still going to do it on our own. Don't tell anybody, but we're going to make our escape. We're going to take the lifeboat and pretend that we're taking the anchors out, and we're going to take the lifeboat, and we're going to escape. Forget everybody else. Isn't that just like man? All for me. That's our society today. It's me, 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 me first. But Paul says, hey, guys, stop. If you do that, you can't be saved. And the reason is because last night, an angel of God of whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Wow. That kind of shakes our thinking up as believers. What would we do if an angel showed up? Are they any less real today than they were in Paul's day? I tend to think not. But Paul says an angel and he doesn't say it, was sent by God because he would have been sent by God. And he says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. What we desperately are needing in these days are those that can take the lead and guide as Paul did. Too many are prepared to abandon ship when things go tough. We desperately are in need of those that have leadership and a faith in God that is so strong that they know that when God has spoken to them, God means what he says. And you can take it to the bank. I think, I really do think that God is going to raise up people here like this. Be prepared for this. If God is speaking to you and prompting you that there's something you need to be involved in, listen to what he's saying. We are going to be going through difficult times. We need those that are strong in the faith in order to weather the storm. We haven't seen anything yet. It's progressing to get worse. I don't think I need to go into all the details. Everybody knows, unless you've got your head in the sand. Everybody knows that things are progressively getting more evil. It's right in your face today. What are we going to do? Are we going to try with, do it with our own effort to get through this storm? Or are we going to take our concerns to the Lord? Are we going to listen to those that God may have given some insight to? 
We're together as a body, not as individuals. We're in it together. And the very interesting thing here is that Paul looks at us and he says, you know, men, you haven't gone without food for 14 days. When's the last time you've picked up your Bible? That's the food for the Christian. When's the last time you talked to the Lord? He's your food. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. He is truly our food. We need to go to him. And Paul knew that. You're not going to survive this unless you get into the word. And it is interesting. He says he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And he broke it and began to eat. If there were any believers on that boat, that would have reminded them of something. And they would have said, oh, there's something about this man. This man's got faith in God. We can trust him. Paul doesn't get haughty and say, well, I told you so. But in a sense, he did. If you had listened to me, these things wouldn't have happened. I wonder how many times we get into this position. I've been in this position. I don't know how many times. I guess I have to kind of chuckle. It's not only Dutch people that have hard heads. (laughs) Us people from uh, Britain are the same. Are you agreeing or just... (laughs) Yeah, we see danger ahead. Somebody gives us some advice, and we think, what's he know? What's she know? But also, we didn't take what that person said and take it to the Lord to find out, check out, is what he said true? If there's somebody that claims to be a prophet, and he gives you information of what is coming, And that, by the way, will be based on Scripture. He will use Scripture to say, you see, this was written back then. This is where we are right now. Take heed. But we still have the responsibility to take it to the Lord and check it out for ourselves. Is it true? That's a warning. Because in the last days, there's going to be more false prophets So that's a warning. We need to heed. But we are going to need direction. If things really turn south, we don't know. Hey, Sim and I, I mean, we're talking Canadian pastors here. If Sim and I were taken out, and I've mentioned it to you, Randy, and some of the others that are young, you're going to have to step up to the plate, right? We don't know what we might have to face. You need to have that strong foundation on which to stand and trust that in the storm, God is going to supply what you need. And Paul says the key to this is you need to take something to eat. You need to get back into the word and find out 
What's God's plan for these days that we're in? Our only hope is in Christ. Here's something for those of you that may be interested in digging a little deeper. I'm thinking of you, Lisa. At least I think. I, I don't know what led me to this. But I have a page. And what I did was I copied down all of the places that they stopped at along the way on this journey. And I looked up the meaning of the names. And it's very interesting. I don't have time to go through it now. But it's very interesting because you get the gospel message right through with the names of the places and the etymology of the words. So here's just one teaser, if you will. When they set out on this journey, they set out from Adramitium. That's where they began. The meaning of that word is destination afterlife. When we begin this journey, we have, a dis- we have a decision to make. Where is our destination in the afterlife going to be? That's where we have to start. That in itself brings us to realize the need for salvation. Because we don't know where our destination is until we come to salvation through Jesus Christ. We don't know, oh, well, I do this and I do that, and I hope in the end that God's going to accept me because of all the things I do. No, that's not how you get there. It's not how you get to heaven. The last place that they stop at, finally, is Malta. Malta means a place of honey or a place of refuge. I found that interesting. The end of their journey, they've now reached their destination. It's a place of refuge. And the place of refuge for the believer is going to be with Christ. If we have no hope as a believer, then we don't really realize that we're going to be raised. The hope of the believer is the resurrection. The hope of the believer is to see Jesus face to face. If we keep that in our minds on this journey... And when things become difficult, our hope is Jesus. He's coming again. We're going to be with him. That gives us the courage to continue on our journey. I trust that if there's any here that are not saved, that you will make that decision tonight. Receive Jesus. Because then you will have all the hope that's required to live the rest of your life with joy, and you will have a living hope. The life of the believer is an interesting life. It has its ups and downs, but it's an exciting life. I know I've lived long enough to see it. Rightly, we've lived long enough to see it. <laughs>